Um, over the last few weeks, we've been talking a little bit about um, what it means to be family of God, that we are brothers and sisters uh, in God's family, that that is not uh, just kind of cozy language. It's who we are. Uh, we are brothers and sisters. Uh, we talked a bit about the fact that we are described in the Bible as being the body of Christ, that many parts to our own bodies help our body work well. The same thing applies to the church, that one body, but many parts within the church that help the church to build itself up uh, in Christ, that there's a role to play for every one of you, and that the smaller roles are perhaps the most significant in the family of God. Um, by smaller roles, I, I even mean practical helps within the church. And there are several passages in the New Testament that talk about helps as spiritual gifts. And I'm always curious about exactly what, what helps did you mean there? But when I came to um, Creekside this morning, and even before I walked in the front doors, I could tell that all the tables were already set up. Um, it used to be that I would come, you know, reasonably early, not as early as the worship team, but reasonably early, and would start setting up tables. And I've noticed the last little while that every soup Sunday, by the time I come through the door, they're already set up. And to me, it's like, oh, that's awesome. I am so thankful. I'm not sure who did that this morning, but I want to say that is a practical help within the church of God. This morning, uh, the number of people gathered at the front here not only little children, but the number of adults who are committed to that ministry is a help within the church of God, within the family of God, and it probably is as significant, if not more significant, than any other role. So um, I, I really do believe that. And the last Sunday, I think I spoke last Sunday, talked a bit about um, connecting within the church, that you know, even within a Creekside context, you might say, well, you're such a nice, small, cozy church. Everybody must know each other, like, so well. And yet, even within a small church spread out over a large geographic area, the church at times needs to be intentional about connecting with one another. And so I talked a little bit about care group ministry um, as being something that I think as a church we need to think about, pray about, um, seek to provide for people who are truly looking for connection a way to connect within the church apart from a Sunday morning. So uh, if God is talking to you about that, whether it's in terms of opening up your house, of being a leader, of maybe uh, starting again a care group that sort of operated for a while, kind of took a break, Maybe it's time to revive that. Uh, I believe that we need in our church family to connect with one another in a way that's close enough that we can share our life and pray for one another. Um, but today, we're jumping into the book of Ephesians. Uh, we're doing that pr pretty much at uh, Willow Park. Uh, we'll do it in a slightly different way, but uh, we're going to work our way through. And I'm excited about it. It's, I think, quite an amazing we sometimes call it a book of the Bible, but it's actually a letter. Um, it's short, six chapters, but I would say it's packed full of what we might say is sound doctrine and theology. 
Um, and it is full of encouragement about who you and I are in Christ. And it has very straightforward language about how that should be reflected in how we live, in how we walk through this world. So uh, I'm excited about it. And when I said that Ephesians talks about who we are in Christ, the blessings we have in Christ, I think that is what we need to grab hold of this morning, that Paul might say, check your citizenship papers, grab hold of the blessings, the benefits, the hope that lies within our position as children of God. As joint heirs, quite amazing, as joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Paul spent about, I think, roughly three years in the city of Ephesus. I believe it was during his third missionary journey. Uh, This was no rural prairie town. It was a metropolitan, multicultural city. Um, It was a commercial hub. It likely had very many wealthy people, wealthy businessmen, and it certainly had people who were involved in spirituality of some kind. Uh, You might say that uh, if Rome was to New York, what Ephesus might be to L.A., or in the Canadian context, Rome might be to Toronto, what Ephesus is to Vancouver. Big city, probably a quarter million people. Paul knows this city. He knows it well. Paul knows this church. He spent time there. He would have loved those people, and that church would have loved him. It's in Ephesus, if you read the book of Acts, that a riot broke out in that city, um, kind of incited by businessmen who saw that their lucrative business, they made silver shrines, of the goddess Artemis. And then when Paul began preaching the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, people realized, you know what, we don't need these shrines. They're empty, they're man-made, and a riot broke out. It was also in Ephesus that seven brothers who watched the amazing deliverance that Paul was able to give people who were bound up in demonic influences, and seven brothers thought, you know what, We need to figure out how to do that too. And they said that they would try to cast out names in the name of Jesus that Paul refers to. And if you know the story, the demons themselves spoke to those seven and said, you know what, Jesus, we know. Paul, we know. But who are you? And those seven brothers were overpowered by the spirits themselves, and this became a visible demonstration of the power of God. It had impacted that city so much that it says in Acts 19, verse 20, so the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing within the city of Ephesus that the gospel was literally transforming that city. This letter that Paul writes about three... um, As I say, it's been about three years, but I believe when he wrote this letter, he was imprisoned, that he was in chains. He refers to himself as being in chains, uh, either imprisoned or under house arrest in Rome. And he's unable to return to Ephesus, which he would like to do, so he writes a letter, 
And he says, I will send you a fellow worker who will come to let you know kind of what's going on with me. So I I think when we read Ephesians, we need to think about it as Paul writing what what for him would be a very personal letter to a church that he loved, to people that he loved. And at the end of the letter in Ephesians 6.19, Paul says this to the church, and pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. We might simply say that the good news is for everyone. I am in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador, so pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. And I can imagine this letter being received by the church in Ephesus, I can imagine it being read out loud in the church, and while they might and we might read it as if it's being addressed to us, it is a letter written to a church or perhaps various churches in Ephesus, but I think Paul this morning would invite us to read it as if it's written to you personally, and we need to read it as if it was addressed to all of us at Creekside Church. There are a few phrases that jump out at most people in verses 4 to 14. And some of you uh, may have been reading ahead before you came, which I encourage you to do. Um, And some of these phrases have provided what I will call food for discussion and debate for generations within church land as people try to pin one another down on where they stand on this topic. Is my salvation determined, predetermined by God himself, or is my own free will the deciding factor in my own salvation? Have I chosen to simply accept what God already has ordained for me, why would God choose some and not others? Did I choose God or did God choose me? Why proclaim the gospel if the chosen ones or those whom God has elected have already been set apart? If you uh, Google free will or predestination, uh, you will find endless conversations, arguments about this. I think these questions sometimes lead to what I would say uncomfortable places. And I think they may be uncomfortable because we don't belong there. That we are asking questions that I would say the clay should not be asking of the potter. I want to say that if we read this passage as an invitation to a theological debate, we have done two things wrong. Number one, we have begun in our own way to kind of play God. We have begun to perhaps question God. We have tried to perhaps analyze the mind of God. 
all of which is destined for failure because I believe we will find ourselves treading on ground that belongs to the sovereignty of God. To become sidetracked by engaging in a debate about predestination and free will might be the kind of thing that Paul warns young Timothy when he says to him in Timothy 2.23, but refuse foolish and ignorant speculations knowing that they produce quarrels. Now, Paul may not have had this in mind at all when he wrote that, but it came to my mind when I was thinking about it. In Romans, Paul also cautions us to be careful not to question God. When Paul says, what right does the clay have to question the potter? What right do I have to second-guess the mind of God? And the answer is none. There are mysteries of God. There are mysteries of faith. There are mysteries of my own salvation, of eternity, of the work of the Holy Spirit in my life that I need to humbly declare I do not fully understand it. But I gladly and thankfully leave all of that in the hand of God, who is the creator of all things, and I want to emphasize this this morning, God who is the author of my salvation, that my name is written already in the Lamb's book of life because God put it there. Secondly, if we get sidetracked by a foolish theological debate, I think we'll miss the whole point of why Paul wrote this first part of Ephesians chapter 1. I'm pretty sure Paul did not write this and then say, okay, Let's open it up for debate. Paul wrote it to encourage the church to embrace all that God has done for us, all the blessings that are ours. Where? In Christ Jesus. And he says to us in Ephesians chapter 1, grab onto those. Believe them. I think when we read these verses in the beginning of Ephesians, we would do well to remember Paul's own conversion. He's actually on his way, I believe, from Jerusalem to Damascus, and he has a letter in his hand from church officials giving him the authority to arrest any Christians he might find in Damascus. He has the authority to drag them out of their homes he has authority to do with them, in essence, as he pleases. And if you read part of, I believe it's in Acts, it says that Paul had murderous intent. That his desire was, if necessary, to kill the Christians that he found. And as we know the story that on his way, God intercepts his life in an incredible and dramatic way. And Paul is under no illusion that he had anything to do in his choosing faith that Paul would say it was all God, that God grabbed me and said, Paul, you are mine. And I want to say this morning, no matter where you might stand on this issue, we need to acknowledge with a thankful heart that my salvation 
is all about God and God's grace and mercy to me, to you, to his church. You know, some may say, well, Paul is simply making a broad statement about God choosing the church in general, that the church is God's chosen people, but that when it comes to my individual salvation, that somehow I had a part to play. You might say I was clear-thinking enough, I was wise enough to say yes. That somehow I had a part in my own salvation to which Paul, I think, would remind us, by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Faith itself is a gift of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And sometimes this is kind of where the debate starts and where it really quickly has no real value. And we miss the point that God has drawn us to himself. It is all about God. He is both the author of my faith and he will be the finisher of my faith. You know, yes, the Bible is full of verses that seem to imply that we do have a part to play. Some verses talk about those who seek God must diligently seek him. Whosoever believes that if you call on me, if you open the door, the Bible does say, go proclaim the gospel. How will they believe if no one tells them? God is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to a saving knowledge through Jesus Christ. And all of those seem to imply, hmm, some human responsibility or some human response. But I want to say this morning, how God works all of that out is a mystery so far beyond me that it only confirms what the Bible would say, Doug, you are but a man. God is God. I am a created being. God is the creator of heaven and earth. My understanding is limited. God works according to his will, not according to my understanding. God is sovereign, and I need to bow down before him and say, thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you for drawing me to yourself. And don't let this passage deteriorate into a speculation. It's ground, I think, where we don't really belong. Rather, embrace every line and say, thank you, God. I'm going to read the the first, I think it's verses 3 to 14. They might be on the screen, I'm not sure. It's an amazing, in this passage, it talks about God, our Father. It talks about Jesus Christ, our Savior. It talks about the Holy Spirit, who is the presence of God living within us. And it says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself 
through Jesus Christ, and this next line is quite amazing. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. That God takes pleasure in you and me as his children. And I thought about that a bit from the context of Carl and Vanessa, who in the last little while have adopted into their family a brand new little boy. And I would say that it probably has brought them great pleasure. God says that about you and me, that God finds great pleasure in you as his son and as his daughter. So we praise God for his glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he, through Jesus, purchased our freedom with the blood of his son, forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure, and this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. It's already waiting for us. It's already there, for he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ, and you have to think about within that within the context of the, first of the New Testament, would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles, and we would have to say, well, that's us, have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believe in Christ, uh, this part I just is, to me is amazing. He identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised that he has purchased us to be his own people. And he did this, why? So that we could glorify and praise him? Yes, not because we can say, well, you know, I was pretty smart to say yes to this invitation. He did this for his own glory. When I thought about those verses, they start with Paul praising God and acknowledging that even in the end, my salvation is meant to glorify God. The church itself is established for his glory. And how all of this works itself out in the here and now, I think, is part of what Paul emphasizes in this message. You need to know the blessings that God has showered upon you in and through Jesus Christ. You need to know that God has called you, Jesus has redeemed you, and the Holy Spirit has sealed you with a promise that you belong to God, I belong to God. We need to think about that. We need to walk as if we actually believe it, and we need to embrace it in a way that David did in Psalms 139, 16 to 18. He said to God, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book, 
Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me. Oh God, I cannot even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you're still with me. It's a great promise to wake up every morning to know that God of the universe is still with you and he calls you his son and his daughter. And I think it would be a good idea at some point to read these verses in Ephesians and simply jot down everything we have been given as children of God. Every blessing, every promise, every gift, write them down and claim them as part of your inheritance in Christ. 1 John 3, verse 1 and 2 says, See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children. And that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. I want to talk a bit more about that um, next week or the week after. Dear friends, we are already God's children right now, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears, but we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. I jotted down a few of the blessings that are listed in, in this chapter, in the first 14 verses. There are blessings that I would say that come from God, our Heavenly Father himself. Number one, he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Not part of it, every spiritual blessing in Christ. Number two, that before God made the world, he loved me and chose me. He loved you. He chose you. He drew you to himself. Number three, God has adopted me into his family. Extended to me grace through Jesus Christ. In this chapter is also a list of the things that we have within Christ. Number one, he has redeemed us. He has saved us. He has forgiven me. He has showered his grace upon me. He has made known the mystery of God's will. And I, I put in brackets that he has opened my eyes. I, I think about this sometimes when I think about people we know who may be very close to us, who are outside the family of faith. And I think about why are my eyes open to the goodness and grace of God and why are other people resistant and how can I get their eyes to open and I don't know it is the work of God in their life but we need to say thank you to God that he has chosen to open to take our blindness away and open our eyes spiritually and last well that's not lastly because you could probably add more things to this list that we have in Christ and it eternal inheritance, that I, that you, will share in the glory of Jesus. We will be there with him, joint heirs with Christ. I was sent uh, a little message this week uh, in my email. Um, 
had some difficulty opening it up, but that's usually my problem. But there was enough in the message that I thought, okay, although I can't read it in my email, it was something about a woman and a fork. So I went to Google and put something in there like woman and a fork. And I realized that probably many people have probably heard this story, uh, but it's beautiful. And it was about a woman who I think was anticipating her own death, that she knew death was coming. And she, one of her requests was that when she died, she wanted to be buried, but she wanted to have a fork in her hand. And it seemed a bit of an odd request to, uh, to ask for a fork. And so somebody had asked her, why would you want to have a fork in the coffin with you? And she said, well, you know, throughout my life, uh, there are many times when we would sit around a meal, and sometimes when kind of the meal was over, sometimes people would say, oh, you might want to keep your fork. And she grew to know that that phrase meant that something even better was coming. And in a food way, okay, we're talking about dessert, For her, it was simply a spiritual declaration. She's heading to something better. I thought it's a beautiful story. Blessings of the Holy Spirit. You know, when Paul describes us, he says that the Holy Spirit of God has sealed us, that he has declared us his property. Uh, I think that is so amazing. And I think at times when we go through life, we don't necessarily feel all of this. We don't sometimes uh, are aware of what we have in Christ. And I think Paul would say, read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 to 14. Spirit of God is the guarantor of our eternal inheritance. I want to end just by saying, you know, this opening of Paul's I'll call it a, a letter of love and encouragement to, to his brothers and sisters in Ephesus. It is not filled with controversy. Don't let it go there. It is filled with the matchless grace and love of our Heavenly Father for me, for you, for his church. And yes, for those who are yet to believe that we are asked in the New Testament to continue to proclaim the good news, to share the gospel, that there are those that God still intends to draw to himself. To the message of grace, of forgiveness, of freedom, of love, of new life, an invitation to embrace God's call on their life. Continue to pray for those people in your own families, uh, those that you connect with, draw them to himself. I want to say these 14 verses uh, form the basis for everything else I think that Paul talks about in Ephesians. And Paul might say to us this morning, whenever you doubt, whenever you begin to question things of faith, whenever you're struggling, whenever you might feel disconnected from God, reread these verses. It's a reminder about how much God has loved us and who we are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the amazing truth within the book of Ephesians. 
And Father, this morning, I just simply want to declare, I'm so thankful, God, that you drew me to yourself. Father, would you continue to open our eyes to the blessings we have in Christ, to the hope that lies ahead of us. And Father, would the Holy Spirit of God continue to speak into our lives and show us how to walk. We thank you for that as a church here at Creekside. In Jesus' name, amen.